Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Investigation. I'm Kira Phillips, along with my co-host Chris Blasto, Senior Executive Producer of our Investigative Unit, and Senior Editorial Producer Matt Mosk. It's now been 15 days since Attorney General Bill Barr's summary of the Mueller report's conclusions was released, and 15 days of Democrats asking for the full report, demanding to see the raw material that Mueller collected during his investigation into Russian election meddling. With Barr's redacted version of the report scheduled to be released by April 15th, speculation over just what will be crossed out is already sparking some concern. But that's not the only investigation we're tracking. House Democrats are ramping up their probe into White House security clearances and have officially requested Trump's tax returns. There's a lot to get into, so here to help us break it all down is Chief Justice Correspondent Pierre Thomas. Pierre, thanks so much for being with us today. Always good to be here. All right. Let's talk about the report and the battle of redactions with Bill Barr. Where do we stand? Well, he has two hearings this week. Uh, He's before the House Appropriations Committee and then on Wednesday, the Senate Appropriations Committee. So even though it's about budgetary matters, he's also expecting some questions about the Mueller report and to be perhaps pushed on that somewhat. So he's been preparing for that the last few days. The latest that we're hearing about the report is that mid-April, well, we're in mid-April just about. So we're trying to get the sense that it's probably later this week, maybe early next week, that we might actually get this redacted report. And he's going to be redacting at least four categories, right? Right. Category one, grand jury material. Two, uh, counterintelligence information. Three, information about ongoing investigations. And then four, people who are considered on the periphery where there's information about them that may not be released. Now, Pierre, do you think, I mean, what's going to happen today at the Appropriations Committee? I mean, are there firebrands? Is there going to be a criticism of Barr? Is he going to take heat because of his conclusions that some people are suggesting he tried to kind of you know, create his own narrative and not Bob Mueller's narrative? Well, look, our congressional uh, sources are saying that, look, this should be business as usual with, you know, lots of questions about appropriations. But Barr and his people aren't quite buying that. They expect that uh, some of the congressmen will be politicians and will you know, want to push him on the issue of the Mueller report. Look, this is the first time that we're seeing him in public since he got the Mueller report. So, Uh, the likelihood is at least some of the Democrats on that committee are going to ask some questions about the Mueller report. Well, there's even members from Mueller's team. There's reports out there saying that they are actually unhappy with the initial report to Congress and that more could be said about the seriousness of what they found. Yeah, let let me see if I can define it this way based on my sourcing, Um, especially on the obstruction of justice side of things. uh, There is a pretty full accounting, I'm told, of why they came to the conclusion that they could not make a final decision on whether, you know, the president obstructed justice and that this does not involve grand jury material and that some of them were surprised that that was not part of the initial summary provided by Barr. Some of the dissatisfaction is about that. Well, and also I think 
you know, there's one thing about what is a legal violation, what is something that they can make a criminal case out of, but it's a whole other matter what's going to be politically unpalatable for President Trump. And I think to the extent that Barr's summary protected the president from that, I think what these guys are saying uh, in these published reports, the members of the Mueller team who are anonymously speaking out about this are suggesting there's actually quite a lot of negative material about the president in the report that is not reflected in any way in the summary. So we'll have to see if that actually appears in the redacted version that comes out. The, the other thing here is that you're talking about people who spent nearly two years of their life, and they want as much of the work to be known as possible. There's some of that going on here. And the other thing I might add to uh, in terms of the story is that I've never seen a situation where any satellite office, be it a U.S. attorney's office, didn't have some issue with headquarters about how a case was handled. So there's some of that going on. But Pierre, I said actually last week on Start Here podcast that I actually suggested that these people leaking, it's kind of a warning shot to Barr to say, hey, be careful how much you redact or, or, you know, we may leak more. You know, don't redact too much because people may be unsatisfied by the 400 pages. Yeah, Chris, I think you're on to something there. Here's the thing. This report is 400-plus pages. Barr gave a summary that was four pages. And there are a lot of uh, places in the report that involve analysis, I'm told, that it's not just laying out of evidence. It's just analysis, their conclusions about what they saw. You know, uh, there was not a conspiracy, defined conspiracy, that they came to the conclusion that existed. However, there'll be information about, well, how many contacts did uh, people associated with Trump have with the Russians? Um, what was the context of some of those conversations? Uh, there would be things like, well, none of the people contacted the FBI about it. So as, Mar- as Matt put it, pointed out, uh, there could be some negative things in there that don't look great, but aren't illegal. Well, and this is, Chris, what you I mean, a lot of us, I guess, have been debating internally throughout this entire process is, what is the crime here that we're looking at? Because we all know collusion is not a crime. So what is the criminal behavior? And what the headline that Barr gave us in his four-page summary was, there is no crime here. Right. In terms of a conspiracy, um, the obstruction thing, I think, will be one of the more interesting aspects of the report. Because I'm anticipating that they will lay out, here are the specific things that the president did that gave us pause. And then on the other side, here are the reasons why perhaps we couldn't come to a conclusion. And those will be the most fascinating things to look That's at. That's what we all want to look at, that right? Especially as journalists. Oh, right. sure. And I actually have been saying, listen, we know Mike Michael Flynn, and correct me, guys, how many times did he uh, talk to the prosecutors? In his it was more than 30 hours, as I recall. Okay, for 30 hours. He had to give them something, Right. Something to get a deal. You give something to get something. We have no idea what he gave to get, right? Now, exactly. Un- under the bar redactions, I mean, Pierre, are you expecting we'll learn the answer to that question? Or is that the type of thing that we're not entitled to know according to the attorney general? Well, that is the most critical question. Um, the report, as I've been saying for some time, and you guys will you know, would note that it's like a broken record with me, is that that confidential report is supposed to be the history, the summation, the analysis of everything that they did, what their mission was. For example, it, I'm told it has great detail about 
the extent to which the Russians went in terms of infiltrating and messing with the 2016 election. And then it goes into who in the Trump campaign or who associated with Trump had connections, conversations with the Russians. And then it makes an assessment of each one of these individuals. And then you go on to the obstruction issue. So this is, you know, so much detail, so much analysis, and the fight, and it's going to be a fight. How long do you think? Months? Weeks? Could be years. I mean, look, Congress will want every syllable. I've been joking with my wife. I said, they, they want every syllable. They don't want a letter, you know, <laughs> in that report not to be known. And, uh, you know, as you, those four items, which the, the Justice Department traditionally has not allowed to be uh, in the public purview, grand jury material, some of these other things, uh, DOJ is not going to let that go without a fight. But at the same time, though, Pierre, I've always said uh, you've known Bill Barr for a long time. He's been in Washington for 30 years. Do we really think that Bill Barr would put his reputation to protect Donald Trump? I mean, there's kind of an inference by Democrats to say he's kind of on the on the take for 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 the president. Well, my sources say he's personally offended by any such notion. Uh, on the other hand, he has been pretty straightforward about his views on obstruction. And, you know, he wrote that memo unsolicited uh, for um uh, DOJ uh, to see. Uh, he was at least under consideration, if I'm not um, mistaken, though, though he turned it down to be on the defense side of the counsel for the, the president. So he has those things which the Democrats are trying to use against him. But he and his people are adamant that he's a professional, that he understands the institution of the Justice Department, and that you know he's not going to do anything to damage his own reputation. Uh, but Again, there are a lot of people who are criticizing him because they're saying that that initial four-page document was kind of light on anything that was negative about the president. And do we think Bob Mueller will testify, too? Do you think we'll see him on Capitol Hill testifying? I think uh, one of the committees just asked for him this week to appear next week. Well, one thing we can I can guarantee you is that he will do what the Justice Department asked him to do. If Barr says you can go, he'll go. If DOJ says he shouldn't go, he won't. Pierre, thanks so much for joining us and weighing in with us. No problem. Also on Capitol Hill, another big battle that's brewing now, Matt, is the president's tax returns. Yes, and we learned this week that uh, the president has got a lawyer uh, dedicated to working on this uh, topic, which is what is going to happen? Will the will the Congress be entitled to see his personal tax returns and that is going to be a whole new and potentially quite ugly legal battle. And what is the what is the precedent? What are they saying? What is the congressional committee using as a basis to to get to get these tax returns? What are they saying is their reason, Matt? There are certain chairmen of certain committees on the Hill that have uh, that are entitled to go right to the IRS and say, I want to see the tax return of this American. And it could be any American. They have to have a legislative purpose. And so where there's going to be pushback from the president's attorneys is they're going to want to know what is the legislative purpose for seeing the president's tax returns. That's why you are starting to hear the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, a Democrat from Massachusetts named Richard Neal, talking about the desire by the legislature to understand how presidential tax returns are audited. 
You remember, you've been hearing the president say now for months and months. He's, been audit- he's he, being audited. He's under audit. And so that has given the chairman of the committee a predicate to say, why do we want to see his returns? Because we want to see what happens when a president's tax returns are under audit. He's the boss of the IRS, the ultimate boss for, for the auditor who is sitting there auditing his tax returns. How does that dynamic work? But Jay Sekulow was on the Sunday uh, this week, this Sunday, and he was basically saying this is weaponizing. This idea that you can use the IRS as a political weapon, which is what's happening here, is incorrect both as a matter of statutory law and constitutionally. We should not be in a situation where individuals, individual private tax returns are used for political purposes. I think that is the probably strongest argument that the president's team has, is that you are taking purely for political purposes a a run at his tax returns, which he believes he has the right to keep private like any American. Now, we all know from a tradition standpoint, presidential candidates in the United States have been putting their tax returns out to the public for some 40 years. This is not, uh, traditionally, presidential candidates are asked to do that. So that's the the push and pull of this argument. And we want to see his tax returns because the idea is, and you and I have been talking about this for months, we want to see if there are conflicts of interest. That's exactly right, Kira. I mean, he has vast global holdings. His company has been doing deals all over the world. To the extent his tax returns will shed some light on what his interests are, then we would know when he makes a decision as president, is he making it on behalf of the best interests of the country? Or for financial gain. His own bottom line. Well, and also, did he inflate his worth to to, uh, margin his wealth to get more properties and maybe deflate his worth in order to get tax advantages? Uh, that's the thing about Donald Trump. He's always been very sensitive of the fact for years, uh, more than, as long as I've known him, that about how wealthy he is. And if we do see the tax returns, we'll finally get a much clearer sense with how wealthy he actually is. And he's bragged about exploiting the loopholes in the past. Yes, he's never been shy about saying that he will do whatever is legally allowed to minimize as much as possible his tax bill, as he says any American should expect to do. But when you're running for president, when you are president, there are a whole host of issues that that this raises. For the purpose of the battle by Congress to get his returns, none of that will mean anything. It'll all come down to whether the Congress can persuasively argue that they, for legislative purposes, need to see his returns. Well, coming up, we're going to dig into another investigation that's dogging the president and the first family, and that's the House Oversight Committee's probe into security clearances. We're talking with one of the key players right after the break. Last week, White House security clearances were under scrutiny once again. The whistleblower from inside the White House tonight coming forward to Congress with what she says is a serious national security concern, claiming that at least 25 people, including two senior White House officials right now, who were all granted security clearances despite initially being turned down during the security check. That whistleblower is Tricia Newbold, and she told the House Oversight Committee that under her ex-supervisor, former White House Personnel Security Director Carl Klein, she saw more than two dozen applications for security clearances that were initially rejected, overturned, 
and she detailed three specific cases. The applicants identified as only White House officials number one, two, and three. The descriptions fueling speculation that two of those officials are Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Both have previously come under fire for their clearance status. Both have denied any wrongdoing or push from the president. This is Ivanka talking to ABC. The president had no involvement pertaining to my clearance or my husband's clearance. And Jared on Fox News. Over the last two years that I've been here, I've been accused of all different types of things, and uh, all of those things have turned out to be false. But House Democrats are still zeroing in, intensifying their search for answers, authorizing a subpoena of Carl Klein for his testimony. Newbold previously filed a discrimination complaint against Klein with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for, quote, continuous harassment, a hostile work environment, and disparate treatment based on her sex and disability listed as, quote, dwarfism. Joining me now, investigative reporter and editor Pete Madden, ABC's Catherine Falders and Shannon Crawford, who've been following this closely. We're also speaking with Bob Driscoll. He has represented a number of high-profile clients tied to investigations linked to the Trump administration, and now he's representing Carl Klein. Bob, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. All right. Carl Klein, who is he? Why are you representing him? Describe him to us. Uh, Carl Klein is or was the uh, top security officer at the White House, um, was in charge of clearances. Um, he was a career, uh, for lack of a better term, clearance guy. He's got 45 years of experience, 25 in the Air Force, 18 um, doing uh, civilian clearance work. Uh, and he's a career guy who was asked to take this job during the Trump administration took it and is now kind of caught uh, betwixt and between a constitutional struggle between the executive and legislative branches. So Tricia Newbold, who worked under underneath Carl, she's the whistleblower that has been making all the news. She worked uh, in the White House Personnel Security Office under uh, Carl. She had been there for 18 years. Um, And she tells Congress that at least 25 people whose applications were denied were over ruled. And she has warned that the sa- the situation is, quote, uh, a national security issue. It could impact national security. That's the exact quote. Right. And she's basically saying, you know, Carl is the one that, that basically said, nope, sorry, uh, don't agree with you. These guys are going to get clearance. Right. Uh, and not, not to bore you to death, but it's important to talk a little bit of process in this. So the way the process works in the security um, office at the White House is when you join the White House, you fill out an SF-86 form. It's got all your background data. It gets shipped out to the FBI, and you start working with your interim clearance. Uh, and then when the FBI report is complete, it goes back to the security office. And then a line reviewer at the security office reviews it. It goes to a supervisor uh, in the security office. And then um, when Carl was there, or whoever the head is, if either the line person or the supervisor raises an issue, it goes to Carl's desk. So it's incorrect to say that anyone has a security clearance overruled or reversed or anything else because it's not denied and Carl's the only one that could have denied it. Um, Some of his subordinates can recommend denial to him, in which case that act puts us on on his desk. But if his subordinates don't recommend denial, it goes out the door without him ever seeing it. So if if something came through clean with no uh, issues and no one raised any issues, someone like Carl in Carl's position would never see it. If someone does raise an issue, it ended up on his on his desk. So essentially, it's denied by him, and it's 
I think, a little bit misleading to suggest that somehow the clearance was denied and he reversed it because that's just a subordinate in the general way of workflow works in an office. Newbold testified that senior White House official number one, you know, had these disqualifying concerns and that they were overridden right. uh, by your client. Would you take issue with that characterization in any way? I mean, I, a, I wouldn't confirm who senior official one is, um, but I, I think I would. I mean, I think that the bottom line is all that someone in Newbold's position can do is raise issues to be reviewed by her supervisor. I mean, the way I would say it is it's like a newspaper or someplace else or, or even ABC News. Um, you know, there's a workflow. There are editors. There are line people. Every time an editor does their job, you don't say, I've been overruled. I've been reversed. It's, you've, I've passed it up the line. And sometimes they make decisions that are different than you. Sometimes they agree. Um, and also, I think it's important to, to realize the bureaucratic incentives here. If you're a supervisor in the office, if you, if you approve an application, you own it because no one else sees it. Um, if you approve it, you're the last word. If you don't approve it, someone else is going to own it. And so um, if there's someone high profile or someone uh, controversial, I would suggest that in classic government bureaucratic fashion, the instinct is going to be to put on your boss's desk, which is appropriate because the bosses, you know, as they say, you get paid the big money to make the decisions in situations like that. Right. But Newbold's not saying, hey, I kicked it up. It's your deal now. She's saying, I came to you multiple times. I had serious concerns in some cases. And she's feeling that perhaps he just rubber stamped them approved instead of taking her considerations. Right. Um, and, and I read kind of the summary of her testimony um, uh, before the House, or the interview, I guess, wasn't testimony before the House. I mean, to me, it, you know, not to minimize it, but it, it sounds like it's a subordinate employee who disagreed with some of the decisions of her boss and didn't feel that they were adequately explained to her, which isn't necessarily a boss's obligation to do, um, you know, and, and didn't seem to have a lot of knowledge about what went on or didn't go on above the chain from her. Well, the reason why, obviously, this is making a lot of news is because we're talking about Jared Kushner. I mean, it's out there that White House official number one was Jared Kushner. Sources Widely are speculated, yeah. Right. Sources yeah. telling me Source. it's Jared. Yes. I've heard, I, yeah. I, I, yep. Right. Catherine, sources telling you as well. And Newbold reportedly described Kushner as having too many, quote, significant disqualifying factors to have received clearance, including, quote, outside business interests and, quote, foreign influence. So despite the denied security clearance, Newbold says her superior, your client, Carl right. Klein, um, overruled and approved Kushner's clearance despite those flags that she raised? There's been um, kind of opposition research that people have tried to convert into government investigations. This is a government investigation designed to get oppo research. I mean, let's all be real in this room. This is about getting Jared's SF-86, right? Um, or getting Ivanka's SF-86, or getting somebody's SF-86. That, that's why the Democrats want it. There's no legitimate legislative interest in any of this. This is exactly so that they can rummage through the files and leak it to the press. You know, part of me, like in the way you watch football, you, you, you kind of appreciate the well-executed plan. You know, you, the unfortunate part for me is that my guy has nothing to do with this. He's just doing his job. Um, and, you know, this is Congress wants to dig through, you know, confidential personnel files. And the White House has an interest. Well, they can resolve that through the courts or otherwise. But there's no reason my guy should be hiring a lawyer and getting dragged before this committee. Uh, to play devil's advocate for a second, though, right. it's uh, she uh, testified before the committee, Republicans and right. Democrats. Democrats did did reveal first in, in their letter, but it, should we should we take her 
testimony seriously? She was working in the office under under your client. I mean, shouldn't we give some credence as to what she's saying before the committee? Well, I mean, I guess there's, there's always a balance between what people think is newsworthy or interesting um, and what the institutional interests are. I mean, I think people ought to consider if they want to live in a world where the opposition party in Congress can say to the party that has the presidency, you know, we're really concerned about national security and the clearance process. Um, if you wouldn't mind sending over the SF-86 for all your senior people, we want to see if there's any problems your security process may have missed. So did Carl Klein and Tricia Newbold respect each other when they were dealing with security clearances and these approvals and these applications? Because she said he discriminated against her because she's a little person and she felt that it was a bit of a hostile work environment. I, I find that um, my personally um, to be uh, an unusual allegation, just having met Carl, I'll leave it at that. And I'm, I'm confident that he'll prevail legally. Why did he ultimately leave the office, the, the personnel security office? Uh, got a better gig uh, back at DOD. And it, you know, it was funny, this is again, talking about the media filling in gaps and speculation. Um, when I first, one of the first things you do when you get a client is you Google them and you look at the stuff. And I saw all the speculation that he left um, the White House in the wake of, um, you know, <laughs> these things, the kind of the, the, the weasel words. Well, because Newbold accuses him of reckless practices, which had national security implications. It, and and uh, he did not leave in the wake of any of this. The, uh, he was contacted about this job last August. He got his tentative offer last December and he got his <clears throat> formal final offer, I think, on January 5th or 6th. So so this stuff, his departure was long in the works and predated all of this. And it is not. A reaction to it. And you mentioned you mentioned earlier that your client is not a, a political guy yeah. in any way. Did he, to your knowledge, ever you know receive any direct orders from this president or through an intermediary to overturn any of these clearances? I I don't believe so. And it, when you're working in the White House and your clearance being worked on by the FBI and eventually back to security office, you have an interim clearance. So you're not getting excluded from any meetings. Your, your life isn't adversely affected. So I don't think this office is going to be necessarily subject to that much. You know, I think that, that Carl would just do his job. They have standards they apply, you know, like anything else. They have written standards of what you analyze, what you look at. And, it, and But at the bottom, end of the day, it's all a risk assessment that you do anyway. And it's the type of risk assessment he's been doing on behalf of the military for decades and that he's still doing now for our military. Would, would denying a security clearance for an important Trump administration official uh, such as uh, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, have put your client at odds with the president? Um, I have no idea. I mean, I, I wouldn't suspect so because, again, the president would have plenary authority anyway. And so it's, it's one of those things where you know, the results can be in the end what the president wanted to be. And you're doing, I mean, from a constitutional perspective, the entire office exists kind of and processes were written, uh, you know, broadly speaking, at the direction of the president. And so you're going through the process the president asked you to do, applying the judgment the president asked you to apply. Um, and at the end of the day, the president wants to ignore that and, um, and grant a clearance. This president's entitled to do it. I'm not sure that would or wouldn't make the president upset. There's been a lot of reporting about Jared and Ivanka, perhaps some impropriety with their security clearances. You bring up interim security clearances. There have been complaints that there's been too many of those doled out. Where there's smoke is there fire. I can't even confirm what, you know, the, these things are about. 
um, in the individuals involved. But I think that clearly the, the names you mentioned are the ones that Democrats are interested in. Um, and, you know, I think that you've got a difficult problem and that you've got an office. The whole idea when you work for the government is you give some pretty um, intimate details of your life into the FBI and have them reviewed. Uh, and I don't blame the media for kind of trying to do its job. But, you know, what do you do when someone who's in an office that's bound by confidentiality because they have such um, sensitive information for personal? When someone from that office leaks to the media, um, you know, you're kind of in a bind, right? Because you can either fight fire with fire and say, here's the truth, but then you're equally leaking confidential information that shouldn't be out there. And so in some ways, you know, I, uh, one of the many reasons I feel some some sympathy for Carl in this situation is in a lot of ways, he just has to sit there and take it um, because he's not going to, he's been doing this for a long time. It's his career and he's not going to, you know, throw out stuff just to defend himself if it's confidential. So, you know, there's a process, it's there. And I think people ought to think through the the consequences. There's no problem with the media digging what they can dig up. I think whether this, you know, issue existed or not, the media would, would dig up things about, um, you know, the first family, because it's it's interesting. But aren't, aren't we kind of glossing over the underlying concern here, which is that Trump or administration officials may have improperly given members of the of the Trump family who weren't qualified to have top secret clearances uh, access to very sensitive information? I mean, I, I'm not sure that's been... I mean, people can speculate that's the case, but I guess the, the quibble I'd have with, A, you're dealing with a plenary presidential authority, so not qualified, I'm not sure is a word that makes sense. You, you've suggested that the, the purpose of this investigation is, is uh, in effect, opposition research. You know, Democrats would dispute that and say that this is a, a matter of, of who we give access to our sensitive secrets to. Right, but the question is, why would you investigate that? What would you do about it at the end of the investigation? I mean, if you're a Democrat, I mean, that, that, that's what that's to me the litmus test of, um, you know, Article One power. Uh, there's legislative oversight. But there is reporting. Um, we talk about the speculation, but there there is reporting um, in The New York Times, I believe, that the former chief of staff, John Kelly, and the former White House counsel, Don McGahn, put in writing in memos that they were right. uh, concerned about um, Jared's security clearance. I mean, right. those are Republicans inside the White House. Do we have some obligation, though, to, to look into that? Is that not important? Well, there's no problem building? with anyone in this room looking into it. Um, you know, ABC News does what it does. That That's fine. The, the, the question is... Um, you know, there are some things you can access and some things you can't. And that's just the, the that's the dispute. I mean, it's an interesting legal question, but it, it's that's the issue. Just to be clear, the White House would allow my client to testify, and we informed Chairman Cummings of this, about any of the process issues. If they want to talk about changes in process he made when he took over the office, the problem's going to come if someone says, we want to talk about this specific decision or this specific file. Um, that, I think, is my understanding as to where the um, conflict is between the executive and the legislative branch. And the Democrats have sent you that list, the specific list that they want you to talk about, right? They've, they've made I've read all I forget whether it was to me or to, you know, um, the White House but, counsel. But I've seen in the exchange of letters what they want to talk about. You bring up the subpoena. Your client's willing to testify. You say, you know, right. you'll do the thing. Why do you think they subpoenaed you anyway, or subpoenaed your client, I should say, anyway? I think they just didn't think it through. 
Um, to me, what would be cleaner from a legal perspective and obviously easier and generate less legal fees for innocent people is they could have the same fight over a document. I mean, let's just have it. Withdraw the subpoena against my client, subpoena the SF-86 for whoever it is they're interested in, <clears throat> and have the fight. And have my guy go home, and when they're done with the fight and the court works it out or they work it out, my guy will come in to testify under whatever parameters get worked out. But it's kind of silly to have a career person sit there and dig through this, because now I have to defend him. And my interest is in the White House, my interest is in Congress, my interest is him. Bob, thanks so much for being with us. And thanks for having me. One more question. You're not going to confirm who White House persons one, two, or three are for us, are you? I am not. Ah, well, it's worth a try. Well, that's it for us today. Thank you for joining us. Please be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a rating. We're back to our regular schedule. New episodes dropping every Tuesday. And thanks to our producers, Trevor Hastings and Shannon Crawford. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Investigation. The Investigation.